a middle of the night disruption for Ben. What is that like? Like like eight thirty? Oh, somebody called the burn unit. Oh. <laughs> You are in a maze of twisty little passages, all alike. Time to start a fire, crack open a can of tab, and settle in for Founder Quest. It is telling that the way that, like, the only way we can have, like, sick burns on Ben is to, to like, accuse him of being, like, too productive. Yeah. It's all good. So, you know, um, you know how turkey makes you sleepy? Tryptophan. You can buy pills full of that stuff. I forgot about, I forgot about tryptophan supplement. I, I, oh, wait, do they have, do they have pills that have both tryptophan and melatonin? No, but. Oh, that's, that's like a cocktail. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. I, I want to wake up in the morning <laughs> eventually. <laughs> you got to have the, the, the tryptophan plus the melatonin plus the NyQuil chaser. Yeah. And you just empty all those pills, empty all those capsules into like a shot of whiskey. And then you just <laughs> just pound yeah. that bad boy. <laughs> Throw some Benadryl in there if you haven't, if you're still awake. So today, I thought it would be fun to talk about like um, an actual sort of feature. Like I don't think we've actually shipped this feature yet, have we? We kind of shipped the feature. Nah, we've shipped it a few times in various forms. Not. <laughs> It is, it is not GA yet, as the big boys say. Oh, so if you're like a VIP, yes. you get the feature flag, Ex like you can totally exactly. use this feature. But exactly. If you're on the list, oh, yeah. then you get to yeah. use this feature. You did deploy, yeah, you deployed yes, some of it, right? it's deployed, it's, or it's is out it all there. Of it? We, could, oh, okay. we could launch it today oh. if we really felt like it, but... Uh, anyway, I thought it would be fun to talk about this feature because it's something we've been um, discussing for literally years. Literally. Um, I think... Yeah, it's, I think Ben's taken a couple shots at it. I've taken a couple shots at it too. So damn, like, I feel both... like I should have taken some shots at it. And this feature is CSP reporting. So could somebody please tell me what the heck like that is? Like what what is CSP reporting? Well, CSP is content security policy reporting. Content security policy is a feature of modern browsers um, that allows you to uh, alert. Basically, send send alerts um, to a uh, URL of your choice when uh, when content that you don't that you didn't authorize is loaded on the page. So yeah, in addition to reporting, it also blocks that content, right? I mean, that's that's the primary use case is to to prevent your sure. site from serving something that you didn't intend it to serve, right? And so. The reporting is kind of a, an, an extra benefit that you can you can yeah. check, but uh, you can see this in your browser, like you know when you open up the console right. and there's console errors, right? You can see if anything violates a content security policy. You can see that the browser's like, nope, didn't load that. So what what might be what what is an example of some bad behavior that this is trying to prevent? So cross site scripting is is huge. So you know you can inject some JavaScript into a vulnerable page. Let's say you have a, like a content management system that allows you to uh, put some user input in, and then it displays it to some other user. And if it or you have like user comments yeah, or something. Yeah. And so if you don't escape that stuff properly, you can have you can inject some scripts like into the page that that some other user sees, right? And so you could steal their cookies or do all kinds of things, right? And uh, so yeah. content security policy says, well, I don't actually want to allow inline scripts to be executed on my pages because I don't do that sort of thing, right? And so if there is some sort of weakness in your system that allows inline scripting to be put in there that you didn't put in there, then that policy would say, nope, not going to run it. Oh, wow. That's, right. I had no idea that yeah. it could do things like block inline scripting. I assumed it was uh, just solely a sort of URL 
based thing where it's like any JavaScript that doesn't come from these specific like domains, right. um, block that and, and report it. But there, but you can do inline stuff too. Yeah. So you can do both on the, yeah, on the page and, and remote. And yeah, I guess like if, if, uh, an example of like something it would block is if like, if a remote script, like, like Google analytics got hijacked or something and someone tried to like load another remote script, you know, by dropping it into the Dom or something, um, that like loaded a JavaScript file from a, a bad domain, then it would, it would, uh, it would not have that domain whitelisted and, and it would, uh, it would yeah. block it. Yeah. It can also block like you were thinking star it can block, uh, connections to remote JavaScript and remote style sheets and remote forms. Uh, so yeah, there's, there are a lot of things that it can yeah. do like, and, and one, another, it's like any XH, uh, like cross domain yeah. request, right? Like it will it'll block anything I think, or yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know it remember. has like script, yeah. script source like and, and style whatever. source directives. So I don't yeah. know if it does anything, but, uh, so how do you yeah. actually add, so this is, so the CSP policy tells the browser to, you know, block certain things and possibly report them. So. Like, how do you, like, what actually does that look like? How do you add a CSP to your page? Is it uh, like a meta tag in the, the document head or what? Typically, yeah. it's going to be a header that your web server would return, right? So Apache or Nginx would be yeah. configured to, to return this header. You send it with the request. Actually, um, I believe in the latest version of, uh, of Rails, um, it actually has some pre-configured... Uh, PSP headers that it sends, and I, I'm I think it probably does that. Like I haven't checked, but like in a rack middleware or something, yeah, I'm guessing, yeah. where it would just add the headers to the request uh, um, as it's making it. And I, I think that you can like configure what what um, you're going to allow. Yeah. yeah. So the in in the new versions of Rails, I think it started in five two actually. Was it five two? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can. There's this new initializer called Content Security Policy, which uh, allows you to configure that header being sent or not. And one of the things that's cool about the way that, that Rails did it is that uh, one of the things that content security policy allows specifically for inline scripts and styles is this concept of a nonce. So if, if you actually do want to have inline script run because for some reason you like to work that way, I don't know, um, you can actually say this particular inline script is safe to run. So uh, run this, but not anything that I don't declare is safe, right? And so you can use mm -hmm. nonces for that. And basically it's just like this random string that you generate that says, yeah, this particular JavaScript uh, section is safe to run. And what Rails does is it generates that nonce for you. And then there's actually a helper, a view okay. helper you can use to wrap your JavaScript. It says, yes, wrap this JavaScript inside this nonce and declare it safe, basically. Oh, nice. Because otherwise that, that would be a huge pain in the neck because you'd have to somehow coordinate your uh, headers with uh, sort of the content of your, your um, I guess, HTML, if you've got like inline JavaScript in that HTML file. Yep. yep. Yeah. That'd be a, a huge pain in the neck. Um, and yep. the fact that like- I love that about Rails. The fact that Rails is doing this sort of now, like that's, like this is all kind of, it's not super new, but it's kind of new-ish. Like people yeah. are just now- Yeah. It's still pretty getting new. Getting used to yeah. this idea. See, that's, that's why, I think that's the big, that's the reason like we never fully- we, ben and I have been tracking this for a long time and we've been tracking it since the er, like since you know it first came out and I think we kind of saw that this is going to this is going to like catch on at some point but we don't know like when it's going to reach like you know the mainstream basically and I think that Rails Rails adopting is like a pretty good sign that this is you know 
pretty much everyone's going to know about this at some point now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think especially with Rails 6, people are going to be, you know, upgrading to it and seeing this new initializer showing up in their, when they do their upgrade. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll definitely become more widespread. A few of our earlier attempts um, when we were first, like, learning about CSP and, and so there's, there's some other browser, similar um, browser features that go with it. Um, but we were, we were initially thinking that, you know, this would be a cool, like standalone kind of new thing to build, like a product around it or something like that, or a tool even. Um, uh, and we kind of like jumped back and forth between, should we put this in honey badger or should this be like, should we make something specifically for this? Um, so what exactly is this? Like, uh, so we've described CSPs a little bit. Um, yeah. so what, where do we come in? Like what, what part are we playing? Yeah, so the report, the reporting feature I mentioned um, is uh, is where kind of is where we come in. So um, CSP headers have a a, um, a feature called report URI, which um, it, it's that URL that I mentioned that you can give it that it will post the reports to when there is a violation. And um, so there's like two ways that people use that. There's when they when they're blocking um, when they're entirely blocking any requests that are like not allowed. Um, they can still report the violations um, and they might want to know that just, you know, for security reasons, like to know that these are these requests are being made, even though, the, though they're blocked. Um, and the other reason, the other way is that um, there's also a, uh, a report only mode, which will basically like still allow the request to happen, but it will send the report as if there was a violation. Um, and that can be handy if you're rolling out CSP, but you don't want to like risk breaking your entire site if you like forgot to whitelist um your assets for for example yeah when i was when i was doing some testing for this uh i had a, a site that i uh, use as a guinea pig and that was exactly my scenario like if there's a bunch of javascript already in styles being loaded on the site i didn't want to break it but i did want to find out like what uh things would trigger a csp violation so yeah i deployed the app uh with the report only header and started tracking the, the violations and was able to go back and update the policy based on the things that I saw, like, oh, yes, yes, I'm going to load Google Analytics, so that's fine. I'll, I'll put that in my whitelist. So the, the idea is that um, people will th set their um, report URI to point at our servers, and then we'll take those reports and do something intelligent with them, right? Because we right. already have all this infrastructure for reporting application errors, um, for integrating with people's... Um, like chat systems, ticketing systems, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We're all already in people's lives. So it kind of makes sense for us to, um, to sort of handle that for people as well, especially since it's going to be um, in Rails. And so this is just something that like, like we really support Rails very thoroughly out of the box. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I'm really excited about the, that aspect of it. Cause I assume, I, mean, I don't think we've looked into it yet um, to build it, but I'm hoping that we can actually like, automatically will automatically be able to um you know send the csp reports from rails to honey badger without any you know any kind of additional configuration um at least that's how i'd hope that we can make it work um and then maybe even on the honey badger side we could like um you know tell people what headers they need to send if there's a violation that they're not catching you know and they want to whitelist something we could help them like just give them like a drop in you know tell them how to basically configure it so the idea is that um, like our gem, our, our Ruby gem currently goes in and attaches itself to Rails and picks up all this error data automatically. So, yeah. you know, hopefully it'll be able to pick up the CSP data automatically too. Yeah. I think right now we're just, uh, we're just building the infrastructure to report 
to monitor and, and report this data um, is where Ben's at, I think. But yeah, I think that yeah, at the moment, since yeah. we're we're still in beta, uh, what I've asked, what I've told the people who are testing it, they can do is just here's the here's the report URI uh, setting that you can use to uh, report your violations to our stack. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think adding that to the gem, like we could detect if it's enabled, and then we say, okay, just slide in this report URI yeah. for them automatically. That'd be pretty cool. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, one of the reasons uh, I think one of the reasons we didn't go down like the let's create a new like CSP product um, route is that uh, the the um, like the data volume can be fairly large for these types of monitoring services because if you imagine like potentially every every user who visits your website could be sending multiple requests per page visit. Um, if there's a lot of violations to whatever your reporting service is. Um, is that right, Ben? So yeah, just imagine the volume of reports that you could potentially be like hammering your API with if you're doing this with thousands or tens of thousands of customers um, right. to a single service. Um, so we thought like, you know, do we, we already have one uh, like ops heavy uh, startup. Do we want to, do we really want like to have an entirely separate one? And the answer was no, let's just roll it into our existing one and handle the traffic anyway. Yeah, another consideration was that uh, the use case for this is a lot of people want to know uh, that, that this violation happened, right? It's, once you have the enforcement happening, it's actually an error, right? It's, it could be someone trying mm -hmm. to hack into your site when you see a violation pop up after you've done all the whitelisting work, right? And so the idea there is we already have all this infrastructure uh, for people to be alerted for errors. So, you know, why would we ask our customers to set that up again, right? You, know, you, you want to get check this other kind of thing that looks like an error and feels like an error separately from your errors. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, but the, the, one can, the reason why it wasn't a slam dunk and we thought about a long time whether to keep it separate was the, the other issue, the other side of it is like these payloads are very small. They don't have backtraces. They don't really have any... Uh, you know, actionable information that we're used to having with a typical error. Like, you know, there's mm -hmm. not context, there's not, uh, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. So we're like, well, it doesn't necessarily fit like a glove into our current thing. So we had to basically create a shim where we take the information that we do get from the browser, which is pretty minimal, and kind of shape that into what we're expecting for notifications. So we can't like just make up a backtrace, right? But we can put in things yeah. like, oh, well, the, the user agent header uh, can turn into the the user agent environment variable that we usually get from a server side kind mm -hmm. of application things like that. I really like how you uh, you're reusing our fingerprinting system too, so that uh, because the, our fingerprinting system is how we actually like deduplicate um, or dedupe errors error reports. So if if you have like a bunch of errors that are reported from the, your application that are like the same from the same location in your app, you don't want to get like like 50,000 error reports, you want to get one error report. And so we use fingerprinting to kind of like analyze the error data that's coming in and, and determine if it's the same error, if, if it's different. And we're kind of doing the same thing, basically reuse, repurposing that system to dedupe uh, the CSP reports, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's still not perfect. Like there's still, I'm looking into my sample project and I can see that there are a bunch of violations that look very similar, but they're somewhat different, right? So yeah. I don't know that I've totally nailed that yet. And that's one reason why I haven't released sure. it for GA. But, but yeah, it, there's definitely uh, a lot of volume, like you mentioned. And uh, that if you didn't dedupe that, it would, just, it would just be noise. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure as, as we get more data to work with, like those fingerprints will evolve just like they did for errors too, because we, yeah. I re, as I recall, we had the same situation where as you get more data, you, you see more edge cases and you can build that into the algorithm, yeah. basically. Yeah. So question, um, how, how are we dealing with, um, with the fact that the service is going to have so much um, traffic? Like it's, it's conceivably going to have a lot more traffic than um, our error um, reporting sort of inbound error reporting system. Um, what, like, how are we managing that? Well, I mean, it might have significantly more traffic. It's hard to say yet because, I mean, if you look at our JavaScript client traffic, we get a lot of traffic from JavaScript. Oh, that's errors, true. Right. Uh, yeah. Which, by the way, is a significantly like small portion of our actual like installs. Like most, a lot of people, we have a lot of server side customers and, and relatively fewer client side, but yet the client side is yeah, like, yeah. A large portion of our right yeah so, <laughs> so, so it, everyone don't go out and install the, the client-side <laughs> reporting at once please <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so you're saying we should ditch javascript and just go back to straight uh, rails oh can we please <laughs> start a node.js movement right yeah uh so yeah we might we might be buried in traffic uh yeah. because of yeah like josh was saying that it, it, de it depends who uses yeah, it right it really does. like or how fast it gets adopted so you know we have our our normal auto scaling stuff in place and so we can handle you know increases of traffic pretty pretty gracefully but uh i'm also looking at maybe using lambda for this um so back in november of 2018 uh aws announced that you could in fact connect uh an an application load balancer route that traffic directly to a Lambda rather than having to use API Gateway, which uh, saves you buckets and buckets oh, of money, cool. right? If you are using a lot of uh, API requests. Yeah. And uh, so we might be able to do that. I know we, like Josh, way, way, way long time ago, looked at using uh, Lambda for some other high volume stuff. And like the API yeah. Gateway costs were just ridiculous. Well, that service um, is a lot like this service, actually. That was our Logplex service, yep. which takes um, basically like a Heroku log drain and scans the logs for error-like events like on Heroku's side. Um, and then it's the same situation where it's not it's not an application exception, but we kind of massage it a little bit and convert it into one if it's if it meets our criteria and then forwards it onto our API. But yeah, the like API gateway was going to be crazy expensive based on the like the amount of traffic that we would receive. Yeah. So the Heroku logs basically like we we give people we send people error alerts if like Heroku times out. Yeah. Yep. Times out. There's there's a whole class like a class of errors. I, there's like I don't know 20 or so I think um different error codes that you can get with Heroku that's like before it reaches your application like your application's execution. Yeah, like a memory memory use. Like if you're not a memory. Yeah, memory. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so that was a non-starter. Uh, we 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 tried that back at, back a few years ago, but now that yeah. you can use an application load balancer instead and just send that traffic directly to Lambda function, that that might be viable. And the the benefit mm. there is that you know Lambda could scale to infinity, right? Uh, at least yeah. that's what the marketing materials say. So we don't have to worry about spinning up instances in an auto scaling group like we do today. Um, so that's one less one less concern so that could be interesting so i'm, I'm playing around with that if that if that is a, a successful experiment i could see us moving a lot of stuff into there actually like i mean we could move logplex into right. there uh, back in you know back into lambda yeah. we could potentially move our entire collector yeah 
um, someday. Um, you know, yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. It gets us to the, to the goal, closer to the goal that star has of like no infrastructure, right? Just put it all on yes. Amazon's plate and let them do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably explain that Lambda is, um, Amazon serverless play where, um, instead of like yeah. administering a server, you just give them some code and they run it whenever a certain event happens, uh, that you define. So, you know, whenever somebody, um, goes to our URL, um, with some payload data, the load balancer would then um, run, you know, tell Lambda to run this bit of code, send the data to it, and, you know, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, some people refer to that as functions as a service, FAAS. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, so right now we're just, it's deployed on our current infrastructure uh, since we're, you know, not expecting a whole lot of volume from our, our test users. Uh, and we might stick with that because it's been working well for all these years and we just keep on working it. Uh, but, you know, Lambda is interesting, so I'm playing with it. Even though Lambda sort of builds by invocation, um, it's still possibly doable in terms of price. Yeah, so there was a great presentation at Serverless Conf San Francisco about uh, your, your utilization of your, let's say, let's say you're comparing costs for, like in our scenario, EC2, running EC2 instances all the time versus doing that same kind of workload in Lambda. Mm -hmm. And so the concern is, well, if I have a per invocation cost, then that's going to be way more expensive. But in reality, like usually many loads uh, in EC2 are like, you know, 20 to 30% CPU utilization, right? So you're mm -hmm. paying for a lot of idleness in that case. And so the, the theory is that if you're not paying for that idle, if you're paying, you know, per invocation, then it could actually work out. So yeah. we're just going to test it and, and see what it looks like. And maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good to know though, because this is probably like one of the, I think of all the things I can think of, like this, like CSP and Logplex are the two things that I could see. Like, I mean, that's going to be the highest number of invocations that we would ever ever use. Right. I, I well, I guess I may have just screwed us, but <laughs> until the next thing, that's the highest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're like going to put our put like we're going to bring back metrics and and put metrics in a lambda or something. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it would, one thing that would be neat is if there are a way to um, sort of in a nice uh, serverless automated way, just kind of uh, like batch the uh, requests. Because I don't mm, like for CSP, yeah. it doesn't really matter if like it's a second later. Um, yeah. It'd be nice if they could sort of batch requests into groups of 100 and then you only have. This is why we pay Star the big bucks because uh, he's, he's saving. This is how he saves us money. He's like, he's like, what, what big bucks? <laughs> Stay tuned at the end of this episode for my phone number. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we've been working on this, uh, like we, like I mentioned for years, literally, like it was funny. We, I didn't really realize that until I went back and to our customer support and, you know, we, we keep track of all those things and everyone who requested CSP all along the years, I went back and told them, hey, now you can come and test it. And I just happened to notice that the oldest request was three years ago. So I was like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Three years in the making. This is a well, a well, a good vintage feature. Where are we on this? Like, is there a, uh, do you have sort of plans to release this general availability anytime soon? Or is it, we're just going to wait for a while and, and play it by ear? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think it'll take us a long time to figure out whether it's working for these, for these test, these testers. So, you know, a week or two. Unless it's not working. I thought you were going to say we're going to do it like live today. Oh, do it right now. Like while we're on recording. the podcast. Right now. Oh, we should do that. <laughs> you know, we should, we should, uh, we should ship it on a podcast though. On a Friday. On a Friday. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of cheating because it's already shipped. 
You know, it's just right. We I know. Well, I it. Sh- <laughs> we'll cut that out, Ben. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we could we could just tell people that we're shipping it. Speaking of that, yeah, exactly. That, that is that is a strategy <laughs> that we've used time and time again. Just launching darkly. And I love that strategy, you know, uh, putting it out there in production, seeing how it works before you tell the masses about it. Uh, and it's, it works out great for us. Like we can find out any edge cases like you're talking about earlier and mm-hmm. maybe some <laughs> bad mistakes that we could avoid. Uh, from, there have been times where we've put something out there and get some real data in there. It's like, oh, that was a bad idea, you know, uh, and launching darkly really helps with that. Yeah. If only we could do that with like, ch- like changes to the notice pipeline or like the fingerprinting thing I met, I mentioned, like deploying anything like that, that touches that, like the finger, you know, fingerprinting or anything that could like instantly change how many notifications people get um, on any given like second to second basis is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't really see a way around that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess maybe there's something, but yeah, we, we got to live with a little bit of a uh, uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is cool. This is, you know, I've learned some stuff about CSP uh, that I didn't know before. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this feature in production and everything. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like uh, like this test site that I was using it on, it's actually pretty neat to see the violations come in and be like, oh yeah, I do want to have that particular JavaScript loaded or let me take a closer look at that and see what it's doing uh, because it's... Uh, yeah, like like Josh mentioned the the eval thing. Like you know, a third party script can inject some some uh, some script into your page, and uh, maybe you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty cool to see it in action and to see. Yeah, I feel better now that that site has that in place. Yeah, and even though like this stuff seems like kind of uh, sort of big company like security audit type thing, like this is just a reality that we're living in. Now that uh, the web is becoming more and more sort of regulated, um, there's more and more issues of compliance that people have to deal with. And, you know, part of that is security best practices. And so, mm-hmm. you know, here comes along CSP. So as much as like it sounds um, not very, very fun to just set that up and like look at all these alerts and stuff, that's just that, that's just the way things are going, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why it's nice, like frameworks like Rails that are kind of making it turnkey um, and services like Honey Badger that can plug into that also as a turnkey monitoring solution. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes it makes it a lot easier. We, we love our customers. <laughs> and so we make their lives easier by providing them these awesome tools. <laughs> it's a shame we don't have video because we could like flash a 1-800 number. Yeah, except except uh, who would answer it. <laughs> Ben. ben. The, the answer is Ben. I wasn't going to say anything, but yes, yes. <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, are we uh, are we good to go on this one? You think we should put sure. in the, the I can? Think so. It's a wrap. Yeah. Ship it's it. It's a wrap. Ship it. Ship it. Okay. See you later, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> see ya. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Those boys really sound like they know what they're talking about, huh? Want to help us out? Head on over to your podcast service and give us a review. Any questions or comments? We're on Twitter at FounderQuest. Thanks. FounderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360 degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at HoneyBadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to FounderQuestPodcast.com. That's one word. 
you can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.